Welcome back, everybody, to this week's RevOps podcast. I'm Alistair Woolcock, Chief Strategy Revenue Officer here at Revenue.io, with my fantastic co-host, founder, CEO, and a lifelong learner of all things revenue science, Howard Brown. Howard, how are you doing today? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me. No, we are super excited to have Tim Hudson with us today, the new Chief Commercial Officer from TE Connectivity, former Global Vice President of Commercial Excellence at Honeywell, and somebody that is one of the most aggressive learners and users of both data mining, artificial intelligence, and machine learning across the sales performance world overall and large enterprises. Tim, we're gaga to have you here today. How are you doing? Thank you. I'm so excited to be here. Thank you so much, Howard, as well as Alistair for having me. I'm just excited just to be able to talk with like-minded people about the, the greatest and latest things that are transpiring in the sales and commercial space. So happy to be here. Now, now you have, a as, as we kind of threw out there, a really big background here, a lot of large enterprise, like going back to, I think, Rockwell Automation, you being a GE, you've worked in the aerospace world, you're now over as a TE. But the thing, Tim, I think like, when we've chatted off and on, you know, you, you really understood how to use data and, and let's pick on some of the Honeywell pieces, the excellence piece. What is commercial excellence in your mind? Like, what, what does that actually look like? You know, I'm glad you asked that question because if you think about it, it is a term that's been more recently used over the last, you know, I will say five years or so. And so a lot of people, are, you know, have questions around what exactly does commercial excellence mean? When I look at that and when I think about commercial excellence, you know, leaders like myself have a great opportunity to kind of define what that means to particular organizations. And if you go from organization to organization, it may vary somewhat, but I'll give you my purview and perspective of what that means. Um, before I do that, though, just a little brief backdrop, you know, I, I, just to give some context. I was an engineering undergrad, spent time actually running a business through sales, a lot of sales, did product development. So my purview and my mindset is really commercial end-to-end thinking. And so when I think of commercial excellence, I think of the impact that you make to an organization end-to-end from a commercial organizational standpoint. And so when I think of that, I feel, how do you take sales and marketing, align those? How do you align the product management, the customer support and service organization, the application engineering teams? So that's what commercial excellence means to me. And when I look at how do we drop excellence, excellence is how do you bring all those organizations to work and function properly to take that math and have one plus one equal three, right? That, that's, that's what commercial excellence means to me. I uh, love the definition, but also appreciate the complexity of actually doing that is, uh, I just suggest you might be understating a little bit. <laughs> yes. So, uh, you know, even, you know, with that, to your point, the complexity, especially when you start scaling across organizations that, I mean, in my past working with Honeywell, for example, you think about the complexity, we, have, we had over 6,000 plus sellers. And then you start looking at the supporting functions associated with that. And different business models, different go-to-market strategies for specific business segments. And when you try to look across all those businesses and look for an opportunity to streamline and drive efficiency and effectiveness, uh, to your point exactly, there's a lot of complexity in that. And I think one of the things that benefited me very much earlier in my career was my vast background in dealing with so many different industries from a commercial sales standpoint, product development, or business, leaving business. And taking my learnings along that journey and really understanding what levers to pull and, and looking at gaps in which 
you know, cross-functionally, you can see opportunity and, and bringing it all together is one of the things that I was really passionate about. So, Sounds fascinating. I, I guess my first question is you're starting at a new organization. Where do you start? Where do you start? I mean, you walk into the role, you have all these sellers, you have all these systems, you have different people, you've got to deal with all the cultural stuff going on. Where do you begin? Howard, that's a great question. And I'm fortunate enough to have the opportunity to have done this a couple of times. But, you know, I would say it all starts with the data. That's part of it. Yeah. And, and we'll get into this later in the podcast. But, you know, I need to, first of all, assess the situational landscape, understanding the customers, understanding the go-to-market strategy for a particular business. Where is it their profitability? Where do we make money at? How do we best service our particular customers? And then what systems do we have in place to enable our sellers to be even more effective? And I say sellers, but I really think in the context of our entire commercial organization, mm-hmm. because you all know, you know, if you think about it, you typically have these disparate data systems historically in the past where sales have their tools, marketing has their tools, uh, customer support has their tool, product development. And the crazy thing about it is a lot of times they don't talk. They don't interact with each other. It's a manual effort to, to stitch that together, to bring about a strong value proposition to, to, uh, drive value for your customers. <laughs> and so assessing the landscape is one of the things that I would say, you know, is the, is, is the starting game, the starting point. Now, the thorough assessment of the landscape of what structures you have in place, assessing the people that you have in place, the tools that you have in place as well, um, and then understanding the value proposition associated with that. So what are the first things you would look for, either signs of here's an opportunity to really improve and make quick change, or here are the things that I should probably deprioritize, leave alone, and wait. H- how do you figure those things out? You're asking some tough questions, Howard. <laughs> and here's what I would say. Yeah, you know, I always look for complexity. Wherever complexity is, there's opportunity. Mm-hmm. And typically, complexity resides is the biggest opportunity to have an impact. I'm a firm believer of simplifying the organization as much as possible, simplifying problems, uh, as much as possible. And then from there, uh, those are some of the quick wins that can, that it can take place to benefit not only the organization, but our customers as well. And what I find is all too often, a lot of times a group thing, you know, transpires when you come to an organization, uh, you tend to have the ability to see things that others don't see that have been there for a while. Right. And, and so with that, like, as I said before, uh, identifying complexity would be the, the first step that I would take. So I, I could go on and on. I, I, let me ask you one more question. When you think about the differences between the very large organization, you mentioned Honeywell with 6,000 plus uh, sellers versus a smaller organization, what, what are the biggest differences and what are the similarities between both large scale and then smaller organizations um, in your experience? Yeah, no, thank you for asking the question. So I would say, you know, I, w- I can speak from an aspect of like a mid-cap. I, w- I worked at Rockwell for 14 years, 14 and a half years. And I spent time at GE, of course, if you know, it's a bigger, very large corporation. And then uh, Illinois Tool Works, uh, which is about a $16 billion uh, company uh, as well. Then I went to Honeywell. And so across that spectrum, I would say mid and large cap. When I, when I look at the, mm-hmm. the differences there, you know, it's really about the desire. Everyone wants to be entrepreneurship in nature is what I found. Well, and of course, across the, my experiences, or some do it better than others. 
and size and scale has uh, an impact associated with that also. So when I think about companies like a Rockwell, think about companies such as ITW, uh, not to say I'm comparing them you know, as, as being equal or the same, but the point is that you have less layers. You have a, it's a flattening uh, effect that takes place and you can get closer to the customer, respond quicker. And you just empowered to make decisions a little quicker than I would say in some of the larger organizations. Because you think about it, when you're smaller, your, your, your objective is to grow profitably as fast as you can. It, and that's everyone's objective. <laughs> but the larger you get, the less risk tolerance you have. And so if you have something that's working, you don't want to disrupt that either at the same time. You want to grow. You want all the benefits of growing fast, profitable. But at the same time, you don't want to take a chance and disrupt what you already have in place. So there's a little bit more, I would say, diligence around uh, evaluating your moves uh, to go forward. And with that, it tends to make you move a little slower at the same time. Yeah, I hear that all the time about how difficult it is for large organizations to innovate inside their four walls. And it's a why you see a lot of times a lot of M&A because they go and acquire smaller companies to bring that innovation, that 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 agility into the organization. But it sounds like you have figured out ways to create an entrepreneurial spirit inside of both mid and large cap companies. So fascinating. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, hey, not to say I have the, the secret recipe to it all, but it's just you know my experience. I think this is where my past sales background came to play and business development, where you know, every opportunity I look at is an opportunity to, to generate greater, well, go into adjacent markets and, and get greater share. And unless I have 100% market share, there's opportunity. <laughs> That's just the mindset that I've always operated under. Now, of course, you have to deal with antitrust. Yeah, situation, but I'll, I'll, I'll welcome to have that issue to deal with. But we had a hundred percent market share. I, I'm rooting for you. So these, if you get to a hundred percent market share, I'm, 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 I'll be there watching. <laughs> I, I want to learn more every day. Alistair, I know you have a lot of questions about data and AI and machine learning. What are you thinking? Well, yeah, thanks, Howard. I might. So Tim, when you, when you think AI is all in the buzz right now, artificial intelligence always is. You know, when you look at board surveys and what they're saying, it's top of mind, right? Like boards are saying, look, you got to have an AI strategy at this point. But if I'm critical of it, most people in, in your position at companies in your space, right? CSOs or, you know, CCOs and so forth, right? CROs, only 12% are actively using AI and how that is impacting Salesforce automation and the workflows and everything else that comes into play there, right? So... There's a lot of talk, but I think you're hitting on to tie this back to your risk piece for a lot of enterprises. You go, well, I know I need to, but I'm not going to risk something that is that potentially disruptive on that. I would suggest there's a significant causality to that in that in, we are now sitting for the first time with AI, it's been, the buzzword's been there for a bit, with solutions that could genuinely shift the needle for organizations, right? And if you're not adopting them, the commercial risk will be too big to catch up on, right? Like the, the, the deficit of companies that are not understanding scoring, testing, profiling, all those other things to come into play, you know, they, they, will, they will not be in antitrust issues. There'll be no, no problems there, right? They'll be at the opposite end of that spectrum. So what do you think? Like, why is it that we're still only at 12% when, you know, we've been talking about AI forever? 
Yeah. You know, this is, this is something near and dear to me. And I would say that for those that are not doing it or, or it's a missed opportunity. Yep. And, I, and by the way, I'm not encouraging my competitors to do so. If they don't choose not to, hey, so let it be. But I will be you know, going down this path aggressively. And the reason why I say it is, you know, I spend time in sales, as I shared with you all before. And the goal is about how can I maximize my effort, my return on my investment for the time that I spend you know, with the customer. And having tools that can help me do that is a win. Not only for me, but for the customer at the same time. And leveraging AI is a means to help sellers become more efficient and effective. Not only from an existing state, I will argue that even ramping them up to time to effectiveness. Yep. If you have a structure put in place in which you onboard sellers, integrate leveraging these tools, they can be far more effective in a shorter period of time than not having those tools. And some of the things that I've, I've done and worked with in the past, you know, I, I see this, I understand this and I'm passionate about it. And the reason why is because it is a competitor differentiator in my view. And it's going to continue to involve, but of course the, the complexities around it is what I think uh, many are hesitant around. Because I would even tell you when I began on this journey, the question is always, what's the return on investment? What do I get out of this? And first of all, you have to have the vision and understand that, hey, I, I know this can have a great impact. And then you got to actually deliver on that where others can see that return on investment unfolding. And it takes time because even some of the sellers are hesitant initially as you go down this path because, mm -hmm. you know, selling has always been in a sense, very you know, intuition and people say you can't replace the seller because they had intuition. You know, I, I was an industrial engineer, very process minded oriented. And like I said, I think there's opportunity. There's a lot of things that sellers do, uh, whether they realize it or not, that are, I would say repetitive in nature. Oof. And what AI allows you to do is understand these patterns of those repetitive behaviors and even begin to predict, you know, continue to predict what the outcome of those be, uh, repetitive behaviors are going to be like. So one of the things I would just kind of throw back is that as I looked across the initiative that I drove with this AI initiative with Honeywell, uh -huh. we started out, the beauty about this is we had so much, I would say rich data, sales, seller data. You think about our CRM systems, you think about 6,000 plus sellers, you think about having, you know, five, 10 years worth of data on specific accounts, specific markets, specific regions. And over time, you can see patterns. If you leverage AI or leverage your data scientists, data engineers to look at that. If you think about over that horizon, especially over the last, I would say three or four years, we've had a lot of turnover in sellers, a lot of attrition in sellers. Each organization has been dealing with this. There's multiple, a lot of data that will back this up and support that. But every time you turn over a slug, you think about it, that the account base that you have, the knowledge that you have, I wouldn't say lost, but, but it's a setback at the same time. Uh, and then it takes so long time to ramp up. But if you can leverage tools such as AI that takes all the historical data with someone that's new coming on board, you can almost not even skip a beat. Yep. And I would even argue that you can even do better than what you did before if the seller truly embraces it from the onset because they don't have to break bad habits or anything. I love it. I feel like you should be one of our spokespersons here. It's it's exciting to hear your passion behind it, and especially coming from a larger organization, sort of large cap, mid cap, that risk adversity that you see is rampant and it requires a entrepreneurial mindset. And I think one thing that we've been really successful at is making a small group of individuals 
highly successful, right? right? It starts somewhere, make them successful. Suddenly you have a champion within the organization and the risk is no longer there. I mean, there's always risk, but you reduce that risk by showing that level of success and the ability to your point, using all of that data that exists within your organization to empower reps to perform better, to help them with not only their effectiveness, but their efficiency, right? You think about artificial intelligence, what it's really doing is it's augmenting human intelligence, right? It's making human beings better by using the data, the intelligence, the pattern recognition to your point so that they don't miss a beat. They can deliver the best buyer experiences. So I love hearing it from you from the large company perspective as well. Well, look, thank you. Uh, look, this is something passion by has been great. And I, I, I want to hit on the points you brought up a little earlier about the adoption, really. I think that's kind of the summary of it. Because to your point, when you get a small group of someone that sees the value in it, it, it started the snowball effect, right? And and I will tell you that it was a journey. It, it was a journey going down this path. And the ones that got it, the sellers that got it early and understood it, I mean, the numbers, it was irrefutable. You could absolutely see it in the numbers where they ended up actually having a higher quota attainment because they were leveraging these tools. And, and I have testimonies where they were like, I, this is an opportunity that I would have not even pursued if it weren't for you know, AI flagging me on this. And better yet, there's times where there were opportunities that they, they were like, hey, I have this mark as I'm gonna win this thing. And AI was like, no, you're not. <laughs> yeah. And it, and, and, it, and it gave us a chance to dig deep and question, you know, how are we positioned in this account? You know, what is our value proposition? How strong is our value proposition in this account? And I'll tell you that the probability of success, the, the outcome of the AI was it was spot on. And it made believers out of the, the sellers because what it pointed to a lot of times was blind spots. Yeah. So it give you a chance to go make an adjustments. So if, if, if you were in a situation where you said we're going to close this opportunity in the next 30 days, the AI said, you're going to, no, you're not going to close this in the next 30 days. It's probably going to be 60 days plus. Okay, why? Now let's start having discussions why. And there's some insights that's provided along with that as well with pattern recognition and so on to say, you haven't done these things you know, consistently to close this thing out. And that's a deviation from the historical ability to close orders within a time frame to say you're going to close it out. And this gives us a chance to act in it. And ultimately the goal would be provide insights ahead of time so you can make the adjustments to, to close these things out. Bingo. And that's just it. That's where we're going with all of this. It's not just recognizing the pattern and saying, hey, you're expected to close this thing in 30 days. All of our data shows it's not going to happen. That insight is hugely helpful, but now prescribe next best actions based on that. What should I be doing so that I'm not hitting that end of the quarter and having to go back to my sales leader and say, hey, you know what? I forecasted improperly or the AI surfaces that at risk. Let's not let's not have that risk. Let's take it that next level and let's use this artificial intelligence. Let's use this data to actually avoid those misses. That's where we're going. That's what I'm most excited about right now. You know, you, you know, you give me, you make me more happy. <laughs> you know, I was early on this journey uh, with my organization, and we're, we're you know, past organization, and we're pursuing this. Things you're speaking about now, the insights, right? The next bit, and then you start, you're going to start getting into the concept around, you know, virus sentiment, right? And you start talking about, you know, behavior-based insights as well. 
of the customer, conversational intelligence, and so on and so on. Those, those things, can, I think, it's just we're at the, at the early phases of what's possible, in my view. I love it. And I'm just excited about what the future holds uh, if it's fully embraced. And I truly believe this would be a, a competitive advantage, strong competitive advantage, when we pull it all together, right, and make this work. So, Tim and Howard, I want to try to bring this full circle. <laughs> Absolutely, I think you, our contemporaries in the industry, should have machine learning models tied to client engagement, behavior data, historical, rep, conversation data, tip that you referenced, and all of those things, right? Like that's that's big. We know that scoring what somebody tells us is happening versus what actually is happening is 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 the proof point that makes this work. But Tim, you you said just a few moments ago you start small, then you expanded it. But for a lot of companies a lot of large enterprises, risk is still very real on this. And you know, you are sitting now in an age where capturing data, capturing conversation, capturing every single piece of engagement is tantamount to disruptive success going forwards. But Tim, final word and advice to your contemporaries here, how do you help them overcome that initial hurdle? Because there's a lot of hesitation of should things be on the record? You know, that's that's a dicey one, to your point. And I've had a lot of conversations, discussions with our IT, right? Because it's about, you know, privacy rights and things of that nature that that and, and some companies are more hesitant to open open up their Kahuna data to some of these vendors uh, to, to process that information. But here's what I would say. The the, the advice would be to start with a con- having a conversation. Have an open, robust conversation. Pull the right people in a room. Start talking about where you want to go, and then figure out how you get there. I think without that conversation, nothing happens. People are going to be risk averse because it's, it's about fear and not understanding the dynamics of what what's really transpiring. And I got to tell you, in my experience, when I got the right people in a room, and we all start talking about, "Hey, here's my concern. Here's what I'm here's what I'm concerned about." We start talking about solutions about how we get around it. And once you do that, then you can rally around. The whole point of trying to implement this so you can provide great value for your customers, right? But you have to do that first. Well, I'm I'm chopping at the bit because what I love what you're describing is exactly what a great salesperson does, right? They they get all of the stakeholders in the room, they have open dialogue, they understand the challenges, they communicate, they look at the value prop against the risk. And then they create a path forward. Right. So what you're describing is you're actually modeling the behavior internally that you then want your sales teams to do externally. So I'm super excited about we're gonna we're gonna have Tim back on this next episode. Let's talk about behavior change. Let's talk about using AI to help change behaviors and move the needle within the organizations that you work with. Thanks, Tim. And thanks, everybody, for listening in. Please remember to like and subscribe and uh, submit your questions in. Howard and I will do our best to answer those in a future episode. You can reach us at 323-540-4777. That's 323-540-4777. Tim, thanks again, and we look forward to having you back on the next episode. Awesome. Thank you all. Thanks, Tim.